This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by DxO Mark. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. And I have a couple of special guests this week. I have Olivier Simon of DxO Mark here with me. We're going to talk about batteries, power, and then I have Anshal Sag later in the show to discuss the news. Hi, Olivier. How are you? I'm doing great. Hello, Miriam. How about you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on the show. It's really great to have you here. I want to explain to the audience, and I think I mentioned this in the show before, that I visited Paris, visited your labs in October, and I got a grand tour of everything you do there, imaging, audio, power, display. And it was really interesting. And I wanted to share that with the audience. And uh, today we're going to talk about power batteries, charging, and you're the specialist for that at DxO. So I think people are familiar with what DxO does and the, the rankings, and it is controversial sometimes, but now that I've seen what you do, I know that your methodologies are solid. So tell us about what you're testing in terms of power and batteries and how you do these tests. Sure. Okay, so DxO Mark is an independent test lab. So as you said, you, you were based in Paris and we test mainly audio battery camera display for smartphones, but we can also apply that to uh, other uh, electronic goods. What makes us a bit special, I would say, is that uh, we are dedicated to measure um, quality of experience. So from an end user perspective, we try and measure uh, what his experience will be. And, um, and for that, uh, we develop our own labs, our own test equipments, and we develop our own uh, test protocols. So uh, we start by um, studying the end user, uh, mm -hmm. trying to understand how he will use the phone, what are his pain points, what are um, his wants. Um, we translate that into uh, test plans. And then uh, we evaluate and give a ranking. Uh, we give a score. Um, for battery, we make it as robust and reproducible as, as can be. Uh, as you can see behind me, you ha we have a touch robot that you saw in action during your yes, tour. Yes, that was very, very cool. Very cool. Yes. So, so this robot has a computer vision camera, and there's no one else touching the device. It's only the robot actually using the phone just like you and me with clicks and swipes on the touch panel and reproducing scenarios and measuring all kinds of different stuff. So the robot always will test each and every device out there in the exact same way so that all the devices are assessed uh, you know, on, on, a, on the same foot. Very cool. So give us some examples of some of the specifics you're testing. So obviously you're looking at the whole duration of battery, right? And you're looking at charge speed, how long it takes to charge. But I know you're looking at other things because when I was in the lab, you had this very cool little interconnect board in which you could measure current and voltage without yeah, yeah. modifying the, you know, the process. Charging protocol, yeah. Yeah. And so that to me as an engineer that understands voltage and current it was very exciting because I feel like a lot of people are not really looking at that. They're not looking at when I'm playing a game and I'm charging at the same time, 
are there any changes versus just charging and not playing a game sitting on my table, right, for example? You're absolutely right. So uh, we have exhaustive uh, test plans for the charging experience. Of course, we'll measure how long it takes to charge from a fully depleted battery to fully charged. We will also measure how much it drains, how much it costs in terms of energy in the wall plug. And, um, and we'll also measure and assess the specific efficiency of the, uh, of the block charger itself. So how much energy it takes from the wall plug. The grid. And, yeah. yeah, from the grid and how much is transferred to uh, the USB connector. Um, and, and that was uh, actually very tricky to perform, you're right, because uh, any small gap and interference will totally change the communication protocol between the block charger and the smartphone. They're always uh, connected talking. to yeah. talking, yeah. making sure they, that the right level of power is uh, transferred to the phone. So, yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's you know, we've, we, we now have to measure charging speeds up to 150 watts. So, so, <laughs> uh, it's, so yeah, the, the equipment must be quite robust. Well, you going to have to update soon again because we're looking at what 240 watt very soon on some phones so yes, i mean well. you know it's it's never ending that's actually a question i have for you as an aside before we talk about some of the other tests where do you think this is i think my listeners are going to love this answer where do you think we're going to stop because you know it's like we remember in the early days of phones, 3.2, 3.5 inches. Then we got the Note 4.3, and I was like, oh my God. Then, you know, for a while, 5.5 was pretty established. And of course, bezels have gotten smaller, so we're getting more screen to body ratio. But now we're at, you know, almost seven inches, but without bezels. So it seems to have stabilized there. But you never know, right? So where do you think, like right now we're in that stage where everybody's trying to outdo everyone else. We've seen 180 already, I believe. Do you, do you think there's, there's a sweet spot? Do you think that at some point we're all going to be very happy? We've seen massive uh, increase in charging speeds in this year, during 2022. Um, I think last year uh, it was stopped at about, uh, you know, 80, 80 in the yeah. ultra, ultra premium and maybe one device uh, came last year at uh, 120 Xiaomi maybe, 11 uh, yeah, I, Pro I, yeah I believe you're right exactly but but this year it's it's generalized a lot and uh, even in the high end segment somewhere between 400 and 600 euros you start to have 60 66 uh, charging speed so uh, democratizing very fast in the mid tier and um, even some device with up to 150 watts are uh, not even ultra premium are still in the premium segment so that's right mm -hmm. so so um, what it, what it, what are the challenges for that i think um, uh, there are Two. Um, first, it, it, it's extremely positive to encourage us to be better users. You've probably already told your audience it's not too good to charge your device overnight. It's not too good right. to keep it plugged when it's fully charged. It's better to try and uh, keep your battery level between 20 and 80%. All of that is actually quite tricky because if, if it takes two or three hours to charge, then you cannot monitor all time. You 
and and you don't have that amount of time uh, to to have your smartphone plugged. You want to be on the go. So fifty percent in five minutes or a hundred in uh, less than fifty. So uh, it's just like uh, you know your coffee break session is enough to go for the end of the day, and uh, you don't need to keep the device plugged that long. So it makes us better users because it's a lot easier to try and stay in the range 2080, make your battery last longer, um, and uh, also avoiding to have uh, the device plugged in. Plugged to a wall. We, we, Trickle we, charge, yeah. Exactly, which we measure and which will continue to drain the grid between one watt and uh, four watts that are wow. still drained uh, from the grid. Oh. So if you unplug, it's reduced a lot. But it still drains from maybe 10 milliwatts to uh, 200 or more milliwatts. Wow. But it's, it's not good. So when the device is plugged and the block charger is in the wall, it could be up to a, a watt that is drained from the, the I'm grid. surprised it's that much. Wow. Yeah, so, so that's one thing. The other thing that is, of course, coming with... Uh, those high-speed charging is to make sure that uh, they're interoperable, right? Because currently 150 watt is yes. the 150 watt of yeah, this. Yeah, it's very siloed by manu manufacturer, manufacturer specific yeah. today, for and, sure. And, and the huge block charger mm -hmm. will only benefit your specific phones. And yes, if you plug it to... If a you're lucky, your block charger yeah. does PD at like 45 watts in addition, maybe. Yeah. But some of maybe. them do. But it's still not yes. a solution. Yes. Absolutely. So the sweet spot now to answer your question, do you need to charge in less than five minutes? Probably not. Probably not, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think 150, 180, 240 that we hear are plenty enough. So my theory is that we're going to stabilize around 200. Yeah, something like, like There's this. going to be, you know, yeah. 240. There's going to maybe be somebody who's like, oh, look, I'm going to do 300 to show you what it can do. But I think we're also running into, and I, I want to talk to you about interface. We're running into interface limitations, right? Physical connection problems, right? Like the current levels, USB Type-C has tiny pins. You know, when you're charging, it's not just using, you know, one or two of these pins, it's using multiple pins to spread out the current. But you can only go so far with current before you start getting in some trouble. And so I think that's where I'm going to stabilize. I say 200 to 250. And what I'd like to see, and you tell me what you think, is I'd like to see more phones, like electric cars, let you set a limit. Like set a limit yes. in software. Some phones let it do that, but they're mostly they're gaming Already, phones yes. right now. Yeah. But I think right now, every phone sold should have a feature where you can set a minimum and set a maximum. And yeah. it can be like 10 to 90, whatever you're comfortable with. And every now and then, you know, when you plug in, it can tell you, do you want to override the default? And you can say yes. But, you know, if you don't within five seconds say yes, it goes back to the default, right? You know what I'm saying? That way yeah. you don't have to think about it. It's a great feature. I want to see that. I want to see that because I feel like people aren't going to manage that themselves. But, you know, the other thing that I'm seeing more and more, which I think is really helpful for the West, for people who are still convinced they have to charge overnight, is 
the uh, f- feature where you can do adaptive, right? It slows down the charge rate based on like when you set your alarm clock or, yeah. you know, what it assumes you're going to be waking up at based on like AI, you know, based on your usage patterns. I feel that's a little too nebulous because my usage patterns, I'm more like the folks in say India, where I charge as needed. And so it doesn't, I don't think it gets a very clear idea of what my usage pattern is. But I like that, for example, with Pixel, you can set a clock, like an alarm. And if you plug in after that, it tries to measure how long it will take. And it adjusts the current voltage and charging speed. That to me is good, but I can't set a limit. I want to set a limit because, you know, at the top there, I'm I'm really working on that battery. I'm really damaging it. So. Uh, what's your thoughts? You're right. Do you think that's something that we're going to see? Yes. I'm pretty sure we're going to see that coming uh, in the coming years, so not too far away. I believe uh, it's already required in the brand new uh, European Commission, Eco Design. Oh. Um, I think it's been, uh, I think it's available for a week or two now. Okay. And yes, and uh, these eco-design rules will um, will enforce such best practices uh, and request manufacturers to support those kind of features. So I think you we we so of course it's a, it's a ruling by the EC and it's a few days old. So the enforcement date is maybe in two years from now. So that right, the industry right. has time, but it will come. But it's a software feature, so I think it's very yes. cheap for the industry to implement at this point, right? Like, and yep. and unlike you know, for Apple, for example, let's talk about that, right? I personally feel that the standardization around USB Type C is a good idea. You know, I think it takes it's not a very difficult thing to see. I think on a technical level, I think personally, I'm a big fan of the charging port, the lightning port. I think it's technically really well designed. I think it's more robust physically. I think the fact that it auto assigns which pin does what is super cool, but it's no longer good enough for the kind of charging speeds and data speeds we need, right? And as such, I think that we just have to let it go. And because there already is a standard that Apple created in part called USB Type-C and, you know, then other standards on top of that, including PD, which PD goes up to what now? 100? I think more than that even. So uh, PD uh, defines uh, maximum uh, charging speeds depending on product category. Right. So I think, you know, for smartphones, you're right, it's probably... uh, 100. It's probably, yeah, something like this. But then for uh, bigger equipments it will already support up to uh, 240. Okay, good. So that's yeah. great. So we're ready, right? Yeah. So I yes. feel like, to, you know, USB-C is the right thing. But here's my theory, and, and I, I we'll see. And I'd love to talk to you again in two years when, I'm, obviously, we're going to talk before that. But in two years when Apple finally has to force themselves to do something, or next year, yeah. I'd love to see if Apple abandons the port altogether. Because my theory is this. MagSafe, which is Qi wireless charging with a magnetic connector. I think they're going to go to a high-speed wireless charging. It's going to be less efficient, but they're going to find a way to get it up to, like, say, 60 watt or 80 watt, which exists already in Android, right? And then they're going to possibly rely on that and no connector physically anymore because there's there's no rule, right, that you if you don't have a connector, you're okay, right? 
Yeah, I believe you're right. So uh, it's I like your theory, and I dislike it a bit as well because, uh, <laughs> as, you, as you said, as you said, this wireless charging is not extremely efficient. efficient. It's uh, yeah. it's it's draining more from the from the grid, and also the the wireless charger just to stand being plugged also drains uh, higher currents and oh, higher and then it has voltage. to be cool. There's fans in most of these right nowadays. Yeah. So uh, it's not very good. It's super cool, but uh, then you have to make the effort to unplug when you're not using it, just like you should unplug your TV when you're not, not using it, etc. So, so it's a bit of a pain. It's I think it's easier with a, a wired charger, but who knows? Uh, your theory is very interesting. <laughs> I mean, the bottom line is, for those of you out there who are complaining, I'm going to have to change my connector. Look, the reality is all of the rest of your devices, if you're like, the, the listeners here know this. My audience is tech-savvy early adopters. You're all using USB Type-C for your headphones, for your, you know, your laptops, for your tablets, for everything. Even the iPad is USB Type-C now. So it, it, what's the big deal? You're just going to drop lightning, you'll be fine. Before we wrap up, Olivier, tell me... One last thing that the audience should know about DxO and the, you know, not just maybe power, anything you want to tell the audience that they should be aware of. I think uh, the audience should visit our website, dxomark.com, mm -hmm. to have a good understanding of what we do. And keep in mind that each and every report that we uh, produce for audio, battery, camera, display on each and every device we measure It represents hundreds of hours of tests that are done in our 16 labs operated uh, near Paris. So um, for battery, for example, it will represent up to 150 hours of testing the device, so charging and discharging the phone. So up to 150 means for the device that are that have the best autonomy and that are longer to charge, so some device take less time to measure. And um, and you will see, uh, of course, all these hundreds of hours of tests are kind of condensed. Summarized, into a, yes. Summarized into a score that allow to compare. But you'll see that we also have uh, some digest of our test reports, which we call test reviews. And these are a little more detailed and will start to provide you some better idea and better feeling. I think, you know, before... Uh, most of us out there will uh, start to be looking for uh, Christmas presents. And I think <laughs> it's good that they visit this site to uh, to have an idea of what uh, experience they can expect from uh, the phones that are on the market. 100%. And, you know, having visited your lab now and having seen your methodology across the board, not just on power, I really feel like people don't really understand the amount of work and the how solid your methodology is that's the that's what my takeaway was so i'm glad you were able to come on the show olivier and tell us a little more about power thanks a lot hopefully we'll have you or somebody else on to talk about other things at some point soon and folks yes. stay tuned we will have anshel next with the news thank you so much olivier thank you very much it was a pleasure bye for now bye And I'm back with Anshal Sag of More Insights and Strategy. Hi, Anshal. How are you? I'm doing good. Awesome. So there's a bunch of news and a bunch of other stuff that happened this week. Some Snapdragon HN2 phones, they're starting to trickle out. So I kind of wanted to cover that with you today and basically just 
get your thoughts and feelings on some stuff like MediaTek launched a new chip and it was super under the radar. Mm-hmm. So I kind of would love to hear <laughs> what you think is going on with that. And then, of course, the biggest player so far with an HN2 chip, Xiaomi 13 series. What's your take on this? I mean, I, I looked at it. I unfortunately wasn't able to watch the launch. It was over the weekend. Yeah, neither was I. Um, so I had to kind of go back and consume the information afterwards. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's got it's got all the things you would expect from a flagship phone nowadays. Um, I think the the big thing is the Pro model is obviously the one where they packed in all the camera goodness, yeah. which is not much of a surprise. And sure. um, the prices are are pretty, you know, in range of what I would expect from a Xiaomi. I mean, it's Chinese prices right now, right? They didn't release them globally yet. So mm-hmm. you're going to add another 100 bucks roughly to get the kind of global pricing. I still think it's super competitive, even if you add that. Like, I mean, this is the thing about Xiaomi that I like is that they make flagships that are really great for a really good price. And what I'm super excited about on this is, you know, of course, the HN2, which is not the first, like uh, Vivo X90 Pro Plus came out. <laughs> yeah, it's a handful, right? I know. Uh, a little while back and like a couple of weeks ago, they were actually the first. I was really surprised to see them as the first, to be honest with you. But here's the cool thing. This phone, I feel is a bit more balanced. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm totally all over the Vivo because of imaging, right? But I like that this phone here has... That one-inch sensor, you know, the IMX 989, it has a really great display. I'm talking about the Pro, of course, and 120-watt wired charging. It does have wireless charging. Like, it has everything. And having played with, you know, the 12 and the 11, the 10 over the years, they've really kind of incrementally listened to the audience and added the things we wanted. Like, some of the early ones didn't have wireless charging, and now they brought that in, you know? And... The fact that they launched the 12S Ultra last summer with that same sensor and the, the, the branding, right? I mean, that's the other thing that, I mean, this is China only, so I'm not sure if we're going to get the partnership uh, in terms of imaging here, but I hope we do because it would be nice. Uh, you mean in terms of like Leica? Yeah, the Leica branding. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Don't think we'll get it on the global models because I believe it's a China-only deal that they have. And that would be a bummer because I played with the 12S Ultra briefly and it's got some cool color options. Like you can kind of like, you know, remember the the Leica on the Huawei phones and you could set the kind of kind of color mode to be like a little bit more contrasty or whatever, kind of like what the iPhone's doing now with that new mode. And I, I kind of dig that. Like, I kind of like that you can pick a personality, but it's kind of an approved by Leica personality, you know? Yeah. Also, you know that the 13 Pro is the first phone with a Wi-Fi 7 chipset from Qualcomm. Oh, I didn't realize that. Wait, doesn't the HN2 have Wi-Fi 7 enabled by default? Uh, you still need the fast So it's like the 6E, right, on the previous chips where you had to mm-hmm. specifically add some components to have it going. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the, the, I guess the Vivo doesn't, huh? Mm-mm. There's still Wi-Fi 6 chipsets. Huh. Fascinating. But I'm excited that it's a triple 50 megapixel setup. Now, we don't mm-hmm. know too much about the other ones, but I'm very excited about that one-inch sensor because I've 
taken photos with a 12S Ultra. Um, Juan Carlos Bagnell has one. He bought it. And Anshel, if you have a chance to do it, use that phone for photography. Holy crap. Like, I saw the photos and I thought it had been taken with DSLR. Like, the, it's, it's the really shallow depth of field because of that large sensor. You can see the optics are, maybe we're not going to get as good optics on this, but the optics on the 12S Ultra are, and you, you get so much detail, so much detail. Like, you know how you see a DSLR picture and you know right away you're like, oh, yeah. It, it's kind of got that vibe and I've never seen that on a phone before. Like, it's come close, but this is, this is it. So maybe we'll get a bit of that with the 13. <laughs> maybe, or, or we'll have to wait the, till the Ultra. Yeah, but will they launch the Ultra globally? They did the 11 Ultra globally, but then we never got the 12S for some reason. I don't know why. Either. So anyway, so triple fifty, one twenty watt wire charging. It's got uh I believe a quad HD display. It's thirty-two something, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like thirty two by fourteen. A four, it's fourteen forty, so yeah, it's quad yeah. HD. And it's a clearly an L LTPO OLED, and it's gonna be delicious. I mean, honestly, this is great. Oh, look, wireless charging up to 50 watt. <laughs> I mean, this is great. Let's see what the prices are. It's yeah, like look. 700 US for the Pro. That's amazing. With 8 gigs and 128. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to get one of those uh, to review. So I'm looking forward to it now because I mostly want to see what that Sony sensor is all about because they had an exclusive on the 12S Ultra, right? And I'm wondering if... It's actually exactly the same sensor or, you know, if the, the 989 that we're going to see on all the phones in 2023 is actually going to be a slightly, you know, variation on that. Like still spec wise identical, but maybe a slightly their yields are better now. Or I don't know, because that sensor can't be cheap, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you feel about this whole idea of a one inch sensor on a phone? Do you think it's kind of overkill considering what we see Google Samsung and Apple able to achieve on their systems? Or are you like me? More is better, bigger is better, more glass is better. <laughs> I just I just bought an A7R5, so you don't have to convince me. Okay. Yeah, no, I know that. But I mean, you, you know, like how us who are photography buffs, kind of especially those of us who are tech nerds as well and mobile nerds, we can switch between like the dedicated camera mindset and the kind of computational phone mindset does it excite you to see that combined to me what's the thing is it's combining it with computational photography just is the killer app here right well i also think it's just you know a lot of the things we're seeing happening in dslr space are not copying from the, the computational photography we see on i know right yeah. so giving those phones bigger better sensors potentially better optics i think only you know, continues to push the whole industry forward. So I say bigger sensors are better as long as we can fit them and power is not an issue. For sure. Trying to see what other differences are between the two. They both have the chip, um, but I, oh, the other one, I guess, has a 1080p panel. Oh, and mm -hmm. it's a flat one. So it's got the slab side design on the uh, non-pro, which is fine. And of course, it doesn't have a triple 50 megapixel setup. It's got the 
big sensor and then a 12 megapixel ultra wide and a 10 megapixel telephoto. But you know, I'm glad they put a telephoto on the non-pro because you know, the tendency for Chinese phone lately has been to remove the telephoto, right? And kind of rely on a 108 megapixel or 200 megapixel even sensor to give you that kind of like 12 megapixels in the sensor kind of deal, like, or some terrible, usually terrible algorithm for zooming, unless it's Google, right? With uh, the super, whatever it's called, zoom that they have. I forget what that branding is now. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either. I'm blanking. But, you know, I'm excited about these phones. I, I want to see how much they've changed the UI though with um, with their version 14 of their OS or their Android variant. MIUI. Um, MIUI. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of that skin, but I'm also not like angry at it or upset about it, you know? It's passable. It's fine. It's fine. And uh, yeah, 4,820 million power battery. Yeah, this looks, I mean, honestly, this looks great on paper. It definitely looks like the most well-balanced so far of all the, well, the only three that I know of right now are the, the Vivo we mentioned, which is really imaging focused. Then there is this, and we're going to talk about the IQ EQ 11 soon, later in the show, which is also 8 Gen 2 phone which is kind of like the sub-brand of Vivo, which is so interesting that Vivo has their own little playground inside of BBK Group, you know? Mm -hmm. I kind of dig it. But, um... I mean, Oppo has one, right? Well, you know, Oppo OnePlus and, and Realme are kind of like very similar. I mean, I kind of think of Realme as the new OnePlus, you know, the value leader. Uh, and, and actually, that's a good segue to talk about Realme in a second. But I feel like... Um, Oppo is is the international version of OnePlus in a way, like the global that's available everywhere except for North America. And then, you know, OnePlus kind of overlaps being India, Europe, China, and, you know, North America, but also isn't available in a whole bunch of markets. So I kind of actually want them to split the brands more geographically going forward since they're now essentially the same brand and then keep Realme at the budget, kind of budget, but value because they still make some really nice flagships and not always budget. So that's kind of what I'm hoping will happen. I'm not sure if they're going to do that because their strategy right now with OnePlus is just so weird, right? I mean, it, it's not been consistent. No. But hopefully the OnePlus 11 fixes that. There's rumors that there's not going to be a pro. It's just going to be everything but the kitchen sink, probably an IMX 989 as well which mm -hmm. we'll also probably see on the Oppo uh, Find X6 series. I'm just super excited to see this one-inch sensor pop up because that thing is so good that we're going to really see the difference in lenses. You know, the optics are going to matter so much more this time around because there's so much surface area, so the D-depth is really going to matter. We're going to see so much fringing on the edges if they use crappy plastic lenses. Mm -hmm. It's going to be... It's going to be fascinating. And to see if they can computationally fix that. I don't know if they will, but anyway. It's possible. It's possible. So, Realme. Okay, so I didn't send you samples. I didn't have time, but I wanted to because holy crap. Okay, so the Realme numbered series, as I like to call it, kind of like the Xiaomi numbered, which is the 13 now. The Realme 10 now, 9 last year, etc., was always kind of like their mid-range-ish like budget-ish. It's never been premium mid-range or 
affordable flagship ever. It's always been like in that $200 to $350, $400 range, right? So once you set your expectations on that, uh, what do you, you know, what do you get? Well, what's been interesting is that they've always put some cool combination of features in these phones. Last year, get this. Last year for 350 US dollars, the 9 Pro Plus gave you a Sony IMX766, same sensor as the Oppo Find X5 Pro with OIS, not messing about. And that made a phone that was, had OLED 120 Hertz, I think some kind of Dimensity or mid-range Snapdragon chip, and, you know, pretty nice design, stereo speakers, and a really decent camera system. Of course, it had like an eight megapixel ultra wide that wasn't super great, but for 350, and I loved that phone last year. I was like, guys, you can buy a phone with OIS and a good sensor for 350, and it delivered because, you know, mm -hmm. the color science, the imaging pipeline on Realme is the same as Oppo's, so they know how to do their stuff now. So this year, they went different direction. 10 Pro and 10 Pro Plus both have a 108 megapixel sensor, no OIS, sadly, but it's the first outside of Google and Apple, the first implementation of 108 that uses the entire middle of the sensor, the 12 megapixel center center, non-binned to do a 3X almost lossless zoom. And wow, I, I took photos and I was blown away as I was getting for the 300 or I think one is 319, the other one is 339-ish. That's the official pricing or something. And is that is that all pixel binning? It's not pixel binning because it's going straight for the 12 megapixel center. So I haven't okay. tried in low light yet, but in good light, it is incredible. You have never seen 3X zoom come out of a phone at that price that good. You've seen 3X zoom be that good on a pixel because of the, their super res zoom. That's the name. Uh, but you haven't seen it or you've seen it from a dedicated telephoto, but you haven't seen it coming from the center part of a sensor. And we've seen Apple do it with the you know, iPhone 14 Pro. We've seen Google do it with a Pixel 7 and 7 Pro, right? It's kind of amazing because you have that quad buyer pattern, right? Of four mm -hmm. by four pixels. So you have to do some computational wizardry to get the colors right. That's the problem. You, 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 of course, you're losing light because those pixels i think are 0.64 microns yeah right? they're, not it's not a, they're not huge but but assuming you have enough light now then you have all this chromatic problem right because you you have that that quad bear is larger than the pixels but the result holy crap, i don't know what they're doing it's really impressive like i was kind of blown away and other than that it's essentially you know, kind of like a, an evolution on last year. The 10 Pro Plus has the OLED with the curved edges and 120 hertz, but it's not LTPO. It has a Dimensity 1080, and it has, you know, stereo speakers and an ultra-wide camera and a few other goodies. And then the 10 Pro has a Snapdragon 695 5G, and it doesn't have the ultra wide and it has 120 hertz IPS flat display with a bit of a chin because of the cable. And so you, you, there's a difference of about $25, $30 here. Like I would totally go for the 
you know, for the Pro Plus simply to get the ultra wide and an L and an OLED because I'm an OLED whore. <laughs> Sorry, I know some people don't like the flicker on them, and I totally respect that. But I'm a big fan. I'm surprised the prices are so close because in th- in that price range, it, it almost feels like it makes it's a no brainer to the upgrade. But I think that for us, it it feels that way. But think about somebody in India, right? That that difference is probably ten percent, right? It's a lot. So I don't know. Also, maybe different, you know, different people, they want different f- features. They look slightly different too. You get that slab-sided design, like iPhone looking on the 10 Pro, and the 10 Pro Plus is much more like, you know, a, a pixel with a waterfall display. And so I don't know. Um, but if you look at overall what this brings to the table for the money and this trick zoom, basically you're getting a telephoto for free. Yeah. It's it's Pretty pretty awesome. And the main sensor, when you're shooting at a full resolution and a pixel bins, it does it nine to one. So it, it you know you're getting a twelve megapixel photo still, but it's really solid. Like it, you can see it's missing OIS because you know it makes it harder to zoom and it makes it harder to take low light photos. You get a little longer exposure times, but I'm willing to live with that because the quality of that main sensor is pretty good and they and they did a good job with the computational side of it pretty solid and it's a real me so you know you get all the goodness from essentially an bbk experience right yeah so that's my takeaway on these there's also a realme 10 that they launched a month or so ago and i can't remember anything about it and it's not news now so <laughs> i didn't include it in there but they always have the th- the 10 the 10 pro and the 10 pro plus but the 10 pro and 10 pro plus I think we're announced in China about a month ago alongside the 10, but then we never got specs or anything until till now. So, you know, if you're in those markets like India or Europe or whatever, and you can get your hands on this phone, I think it's going to be a good phone for that kind of money. I wish it did have OIS, but whatever. I'll live without this year because that 3X zoom trick is impressive. I'll try to send you some uh, samples after this because I want your thoughts on it. Yeah, I'd love it. It's really interesting because if this is a precursor to what we saw at the Snapdragon Summit, right, where we're going to start seeing large 200 megapixel sensors, which are going to offer us 2x and 4x zoom by using the, you know, kind of, uh, so like 4 to 1 binning. And then 16 to 1 binning for the, you know, so like you, you, if you don't bin, you get the 12 megapixel sensor at the middle, right? And you get 4x zoom. You bin once, you get, um, you know, 2x zoom, but pixel bin 4 to 1. And then you use the whole sensor and you get, you know, no zoom, but you get 16 to 1 binning. That's, I think, what we're going to see. That's, I think, what Qualcomm was showing us and talking about on stage when they mentioned the 200 megapixel support. So that means like on a 108, you can do, you know, 3x zoom. On a 50 or 48, you can do 2x zoom that way. And I think it's going to proliferate in 2023. I think that somehow the imaging pipelines are going to manage to support whatever that weird debayering algorithm that is required to make that happen. Because I'm I'm sorry, I'm super stoked about this because I'm so sick of no telephotos on phones, you know? And I'm willing Especially to swallow on the, that. On the budgets. 
I know, and I'm willing to swallow that no no the no telephoto if you can give me at least some semblance of a decent quality zoom. Like even the super res zoom on the Pixel so far has been pretty great. Do you remember the the 4A? You could shoot 5x photos with that on a 12 megapixel sensor because of the hand motion. You know, basically sub pixel interpolation. You you basically got a uh, you got a, li a larger resolution photo than <laughs> the sensor could capture. As long as there wasn't too much motion in the shot, like a bird flying around or something. Yeah, so I think this is cool. And I just wanted to mention it because, you know, when I got the 10 Pro, it was before the specs were announced. Like, Realme sends the phone sometimes, you know, under embargo before I even have any data about them. So I did a video, I started using it, and I didn't realize that it had this functionality until the 10 Pro Plus arrived and the specs were out. And I was like, wait, what? What is this 3X Zoom thing that they're talking about? Like there's like as a selling point? Let me try that. And I was like, whoa, I think I know what's going on here. And this is kind of incredible. So yeah. Um, how familiar are we with the Techno brand? I am somewhat familiar. Uh, I have seen some people posting about it and talking about it. Um, they have never reached out to me, but I understand kind of what their goal is. And I've been seeing some of their latest phones. So, so you kinda. know about them. Yeah, kind of. Are you also familiar with Infinix? That sounds like a familiar name, too. So I believe those two companies are somewhat related, <clears throat> not necessarily like BBK Group Umbrella, mm -hmm. but they have similar investors. And I think that, you know, I'm making that up right now. It could be wrong, but I have a very strong feeling that they might be using the same factories and stuff. A lot of the specs on their phones are similar mm -hmm. and they're really targeting developing uh, nations and countries and markets. And so you got like Africa, it's a big part of their market, Middle East, which is not developing, but whatever, uh, South America, uh, parts of the Eastern Bloc. And their phones are really cool. Like both Infinix and Techno. I've only had one Techno to play with, but almost every Infinix I get because it's race point global, right? So they just send them to me. And um, they're always really affordable. The software is a little Chinese, if you know what I'm saying, like a little excessive, still a little skin and a little mm -hmm. too combobulated. But if you can get over that, it's not buggy. It's not like, you know, Red Magic in the early days where everything was mistranslated. Like it's not that <laughs> bad, but it's um, it's a little further removed from Android that you and I would probably like. But the hardware is really solid and they really heavily rely on MediaTek as their partner. A lot of their phones are only 4G. You're starting to see 5G more and more on some of their phones. But this Techno phone is called the Phantom X2 Pro and the Phantom series has always been their flagship, like the best thing they make. And the thing that got me about this, as you know, obviously you saw the, the article, on Engadget there, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, it was Richard Lai, is it's got a, a telephoto, but the telephoto, it kind of pops out, right? Like the lens is motorized and pops out to get the Z-depth that you need. <laughs> and we we saw, I think it was Oppo who did this uh, on a concept phone a while back. And here we are. This is world's first. It's it's not Oppo. It's, it's this kind of no-name brand. Techno, interesting, right? Yeah, I What's mean, your take. I personally 
think it's cool. I also think that when you have moving parts, you introduce a new point of failure. Of course. Um, and when you're thinking about these kinds of devices being in the field and being most people's only device that they use, um, I would be concerned about you know its functionality long term because these phones will probably live for a very long time. Um, but I'm sure that they think about this as well because um, they know their customers. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, companies doing something unique is always a good thing in the phone market, especially with so many, you know, brick phones doing the same thing as everybody else. Um, yeah. But my introduction to Techno was also something somewhat uh, similar in that sense that they did the uh, Mondrian edition of their phone. Uh, the that's Camon. right. And that's how I heard about them. It was from Enabong, actually. He posted something about it. Was that the one that could change color? Yeah, it was like they had like the little diff- different like brick shapes and they all lit up different colors in the sun or something like that. That's um, exactly right. But what's funny is I was on the Techno website. They don't even have the Phantom on their website yet. No, that's right. I went to check it out for the specs as well. I believe that right now you pretty much have to go to the Universal Database, which is GSM Arena, to get specs on this. I love the GSM Arena. That's literally where I get all my specs for the show, guys. So if there is a mistake in my specs, you blame know them. that you can... <laughs> no, no, I don't want to pass the blame on because GSM Arena is very clear that, you know, it, there might be errors in there. But it's, you know where it came from. It's, it's generally kind of pretty like, good. It's generally very good. But what's really cool is, did you see the aperture on that zoom lens? F over 1.49. On a 2.5x zoom. That's sharp. And it's a 50 megapixel camera, no OIS. But man, that's going to be sweet. And, you know, to your point, moving parts. But here, I think that's a solved problem. I'll tell you why. Because we've had retractable pop-up selfie cameras for many years. Now, no longer, because now I seem to be doing the whole punch thing. But for a long time there, like two years or so, that was on every phone, including mid-range and even budget phones. And as such, I feel like we've perfected a way to make this camera retract automatically when you drop the phone Mm -hmm. and make a mechanism that, short of throwing it in the sand at the beach, is going to be okay, right? So the other thing is Dimensity 9000. Let's talk about that for a second. Do you know how many Dimensity 9000 phones there are out there right now? Three. Yeah, I was going to say not many. As far as I know, we have, well, maybe more than that, but we definitely have an Oppo Find X5 Pro in China variant with a Dimensity 9000. I believe we have some other BBK group phone that never made it anywhere. We, and we have this phone. Like, I, I think it's like a handful. It's probably one handful. It's weird timing. Well, clearly they were developing this for a while, right? Because we know that the, speaking of Vivo earlier, the Vivo, X90 Pro non-plus is the Dimensity 9200, right? And that's the first, I believe, officially announced 9200 phone. So kind of interesting that Vivo got both the first 8 Gen 2 and the first 9200 phones, huh? I mean, hmm. it's not really that surprising. You know, in my, my interactions with the Vivo group, um, they've been very aggressive on getting their hands on the earliest technology as early as possible. It's true. But I mean, in the past, you'd think it's Xiaomi for the Snapdragon chips, right? And then generally it's BBK Group for the MediaTek chips, for sure. But um, it's just interesting to me that Vivo kind of is 
become so aggressive in a good way because I like their phones a lot. The X series is amazing. I think the competition, both from Oppo and other Chinese manufacturers, has kind of pushed them in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. So this Techno has, you know, this basically 50 megapixel sensors are uh, Samsung ISOCELL and they're 1.2 micron pixels so combined to 2.4 uh, pixel being so i th- i think other than the lack of ois you know it's got an amoled display 120 hertz it's got the dimensity 9000 and i think the pro is actually pretty expensive isn't it it's 900 bucks but like it's got everything like you know and if you look at you know probably the me- the mechanics of this camera system and i know from the photos i've seen that the chassis is metal I guess the back is leather, maybe. Yeah, it's a weird fabric. Look, I can't. Doesn't really look tell what like glass, but I feel like it's kind of a unique product. And I love the color too. Oh I yeah, no, it's definitely eye catching. It reminds me of those uh, orange McLaren phones. <laughs> totally, it's going to stand out. It's going to be unique. Remember how Oppo in the early days of the Find series, the Find X, the original Find X, that had the whole, the whole back like slid up and down, um, motorized. It was pretty crazy. And it is so ex- it's so expensive. Yeah, look it up. Type Apple Find X. And you know, basically had a pop-up camera, but instead of just the camera popping up, the entire back of the phone would lift up to reveal the oh, camera. Oh, I remember that. And then it would protect that. the rear camera when it was shut too. So it was this really cool design. And at the time we were like, my God, I've never seen Oppo do something this fancy. It almost feels like a concept phone come to life. And that's kind of what I feel about this. That's why the price doesn't surprise me, because I feel like this is a concept phone come to life, Mm. right? Like you don't buy this because you want like a logically good phone, right? (laughs) You want a logically good phone, buy a Vivo X90 Pro Plus, buy, buy a Samsung Galaxy, buy an iPhone, buy a Pixel, buy an Oppo or... A Xiaomi 13. But if you want something completely wild, almost like it came out of a lab, this I kind of feel is what it is. And of course, you can get the Phantom X2 for a lot cheaper, but it's not oh, yeah. really as interesting. So, yeah, anyway. And then we have EQ or IQ. How do you say that? I used to pronounce it IQ, and then I heard somebody pronounce it differently, like IQ. Or something like that. I, oh, Iku. So it's not E, it's I still, that's right. I think it's, it's Iku, because I, I used to call it IQ, IQ, and I think it's wrong. Yeah. If somebody wants to chime in on Twitter and let me and shall know what you think it should be pronounced, because I've been butchering it for years now. So the yeah, last I've one I played with... for a long time. <laughs> the last one I played with was the Iku. There you go, I got it. Seven, which is... Okay, don't let the numbers fool you here because, okay, first of all, you know how the Oppo Renos come out every three months and in one year they cover three numbers? Like we started 2022 with the Reno 6 and I believe the 7, 8, and 9 came out this year. <laughs> like, So I think Aiku does the same thing. Like their phones are refreshed very regularly, like every four to six months. So the seven was like just basically a couple, just a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. I remember it was during COVID and it was the BMW edition like that, that I had too. So it's interesting that the more, you know, Vivo is letting 
IQ do its thing, the more the similarities are, you know, matching between the kind of the vivo high end and the IQ high end. I thought that's that's what I've noticed because, like, you know, I believe they've added some functionality here that used to be on the X series before. Let me see if I'm right. I'm thinking of wireless charging. Is there wireless charging on this one? Yes. So this is another thing. See, this is the first, as far as I know, IQ phone with wireless charging. And Vivo didn't have wireless charging for a long time. It wasn't until the, I want to say the X60 series. And again, the X series is refreshed every six months. So we got the X70 and 80 and 90 in 2022. <laughs> I was introduced to the brand a few years ago, but the most recent mm -hmm. time I, I played with one was when they implemented, they were the first ones to implement the large fingerprint sensors on, <gasps> oh, right. on, on the front. And they use the, the max version of the Qualcomm sensor. And you can it's like, cool, right? you can like unlock with two fingers and like fingers. authenticate. I and know. you can also like launch your banking app from your, 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 your like lock screen. And it automatically logs you in with one press. Um, so I wonder if that's still in these, um, but so the, it's a nice feature. The Vivo X80 Pro, they never did a Pro Plus on that. The previous one had that. I have that phone. It has the big sensor and you can do the two fingerprints thing. And this, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, the, I'm pretty sure the X90 Pro has it as well and it, probably the Pro Plus. This, I wouldn't be surprised if it does because this is their flagship, right? It's just, what's really surprised me about this, Angela, is this is a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. Like, mm -hmm. what? So quickly already? You're right. The whole Vivo group is just aggressive as F right now. Like, so there's a BMW that's the 11 Legend Edition. It's always like the, the kind of top of the line. There's an 11 11 Pro. And. You know, basically, they both have a quad HD display, which is nice. At four, wow, 144 hertz. I was not expecting that. And then, of course, Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. And then, so it's got the 50 megapixel Gen 5 main camera that we've been seeing on the Vivo X series in the past. So it's almost, that's what I'm saying. It's almost an X series from like six months ago. Uh, 13 megapixel portrait camera and an ultra wide. That's for the 11. For the Pro, oh, it brings it up to an IMX 866. Interesting. I haven't seen that sensor. That's a successor to the 766. That's a new sensor, pretty sure. Oh, it's got the 50 megapixel, 150 degree ultra wide, which is a Samsung sensor from the OnePlus 10 Pro. And then a 13 megapixel portrait camera. So their portrait cameras are cool. I kind of like Vivo for that. They have a dedicated 2X you know, 50 millimeter equivalent portrait cam on a lot of their phones, some with OIS, some with the gimbal, some without, but they're always like a 13-ish megapixel sensor and they just take great portraits. It's just like they've optimized the algorithm on these particular phones to, you know, it's still not as creamy as using natural depth of field bokeh, but it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool to have a camera that you just use for portraits. I kind of dig it. Yeah, and I think this one also support the pro version also supports 200, 200 watt charging. Holy crap. It's interesting. You know, BBK Group has been working on, one, I believe, on 240 watt, and they've got, got 150 out there now. But 200, it's interesting that it's 
IQ before even Vivo gives us this. IQ, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get used to it. Anyway, the price is uh, 689 euros, and that's for the Pro. And of course, it goes up from there for more storage. That's what the euro is roughly the same as US dollars right now, still, right? So it's like mm -hmm. 690. That's a really good price, but it's a Chinese price. So I don't know. Always expect adjustments. Exactly. Just plan for more wiggle room there. And of course, coming to India eventually. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's cool. I, I, they're hard to get these phones. Like I have a contact there, but they're not very good at getting me the phones. And, and I'm not mad, like, you know, but if you get the phones to me, I can talk to them on the podcast. So, all right. Speaking of BBK, did you see this leak of the Oppo Find X6? Just six, not the Pro. But in terms of design, if this is real, like, what a kind departure. of 180 on the design language, right? Quite a departure for sure. How do you feel about that? Were you happy with this ceramic back, like, single piece crazy awesomeness that they were going for on the 5 and the 3? I like the 5. I thought the 5 Pro had a really nice design to it. Um, I, I like the smoothness of it. Uh, it just felt like a very premium finished product. I feel like it was one of the best hand in hand feels of any phones I've ever used because of the ceramic and the fact that the camera bump would just, you know, you put it in your pocket, it, it never caught on anything. It was just magical. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we're moving away from that. I mean, it might still be a ceramic back, but, and there's a bit of a, of a runway looks, up to the it looks a little bit more like they're moving in the direction of OnePlus. I know. And then we know that OnePlus is gonna be basically kind of recycling the design they had last year, but probably with a circular and you know, additional kind of like gather gather around lenses. We'll stick you in a big circle now and then we'll put a square around you. Uh, kind of vibe. I mean, that's the leaks, but I'm a little bummed by this. I hope this is not what we see on the Pro as well. But judging, I'm a little confused that they say this is a Find X6 leak when there appears to be a Periscope telephoto there. Because, okay, let's keep track of this for a second. The last Oppo Find X to have a Periscope telephoto was the Find X2 Pro. And not even the two. So then the three and the three pro did not have that. They had the, the microscope camera, which was crazy. And then it had like a very generic 2X telephoto that was not worth mentioning. The fine X5 Pro dropped the microscope and they did something interesting actually. You know that? Did you know this? That the Fine X5 Pro Snapdragon version does is one of the few Android phones along with Huawei phones to do sensor fusion between the big sensor and the 2x telephoto and that's why they don't have ois on the 2x telephoto and you can test that because if you're shooting on the telephoto mode you can't shake it it's and because it has the in-body stabilization also the only phone with in-body stabilization ever on android I'm not talking about the gimbals because vivo has had the gimbals but i'm talking about like actual sensor shift like apple does right i was gonna say i didn't know why they did it i knew that they had sensor fusion because it needed like if you blocked one of them it would like be upset with you 
Um, but that's right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was really that was the first phone that I used on Android that convinced me that Androids could have good video recording. Um, oh, the Mary Silicon X and low light video in low light. I dude. I first time I tried it was in Barcelona. I'm in a taxi cab at night and I literally roll down the window and I'm holding the phone and I'm taking video and I look at it later and I'm like, let my, my, my jaw dropped. I was like, this was taken with the phone and it, I mean, blows away the iPhone. It's, it's the best video I've ever seen. And I see a lot of bloggers going around and like, vloggers going around using it as a primary camera. Really? Interesting. I haven't seen that. Obviously, I see mostly iPhones for that. <laughs> I think it's great. I'm worried that the Find X6 Pro might gain the Periscope telephoto that we all want it to have. I mean, I want it. I mean, it has to have one. It's it's a flagship. It's a it's a twelve hundred dollar flagship, right? It's it's like you're gonna want to have that. But at the same time, I'm like. Are we still going to get the in-body stabilization? Because that sensor shift was... And that, of course, we're going to get the Mary Silicon X version 2, whatever it's called. But I'm just... I'm, I don't know. I'm a little worried about Oppo and OnePlus right now, honestly. I'm not sure what Pete Lau is smoking, but it's not good. <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about that? I feel like it's a good discussion to have because... Do you think they're a little lost right now? Because that's what it feels like to me. No, I do think they're a little lost. And I think it's because they don't really know how to balance the brands um, and how to approach design and features and pricing and go to market. But how do you think that's possible with all these years of experience? Also, as an add-on, do you think that's why CarPay left? I think so. Me too. Yeah. I feel like, you know, he brought the Nord on and that phone was... You see the Nord's awesomeness reflected in a nothing phone one, in the fact that it's one of the most well-balanced phones spec-wise and its price point, right? Like, they, nothing stands out particularly. I mean, there's the glyphs and the gimmicks, but everything is well-balanced. The camera isn't better than the display, isn't better than the processor. It's all kind of at like a good solid 75% because of a $450 premium mid-range phone. And that's what the Nord did. And I thought when that was happening at OnePlus, I was like, this is it. They found their formula again, right? Maybe you can't make a flagship that's super affordable anymore in this day and age, but maybe you can make a mid-range or a premium mid-range that's affordable. And I thought that's what they were doing. And then he left, basically. I mean, we got the Nord 2, which was also awesome. But yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that... They're going to get their ship in order. Do you think that they're going to figure out where OnePlus needs to be and Oppo needs to be? Or do you think we're going to get another year of this kind of painful to watch from a distance situation? I think it's too soon to tell. Um, I think I think we'll find out at MWC most likely or leading up to it. Right. Because a lot of yeah. these, a lot of these guys like to launch their phones a few weeks before MWC. It's true. But is that? As much true as it used to be, because I feel like with the last few years with uh, the phones, the flagship have been announced like in December and January, just because they try to meet like that Chinese New Year deadline, right? Right. So but if they don't hit it, then they got to wait, you know, till right before right, they got to wait. I kind of want to think that with the leaks of the X6 now, we might get it before 
we could MWC this year. I mean, they've got two weeks, right? Maybe three. Actually, no. I think I, I'm going to take that back because now that I'm thinking about it, it's always their big shtick at MWC, number one. Number two, they have something coming for the rest of December already. You know what it is? You find N, the oh, find yeah, N, yeah, the yeah, new yeah. one, uh, find N2, and the find flip, uh, find N flip, whatever it's going to be called. Yeah, they showed the find N last year at MWC too, because they'd already launched it in, in China. Yeah, but they launched it in December, so I think right. it's going to come. I think so. Um, anyway, we'll see. Um, the last thing I have on the menu here is a bit of a puzzling one. And I kind of want your take on this because like, I just think it's weird that they launched a Dimensity 8200 out of nowhere with not much fanfare, what, three weeks after their big summit? What do you think is going on there? I think they wanted all of the attention to be on the flagship chip um, because I think that's where they want to get mindshare. Um, and that's where they're going to have all the the best capabilities in terms of camera, um, you know, display, connectivity. So I think this is more about them trying to focus on the flagship, um, especially, I think, because, you know, their competitor was also launching a flagship a week after them. Right, so for sure. I think this might have a, that might have a little bit of a, um effect on what they decided to announce and, and how. but. I agree. It probably would have made sense to also announce the 8200 at the same time as the 9200. Um, and or announce it at CES. Like, just announce yeah. it at some trade show later on because it seems like uh, the timing is really odd. It tells me that there are phones coming with this chip and they can't wait to not announce it. But as you said, they don't want to steal the thunder from the 9200. I don't know. I'm going to have to chat with Brad. I also think when you look at it, um, the 8200 is probably not going to be in U.S. phones right off the bat. Um, no. So maybe the U.S. market isn't that important to them, at least at launch. But I think we're totally going to see a bunch of um, phones with the 8200 in the U.S. You know, over the course of the next year or so. Are you convinced of that? Does It, have, it doesn't have millimeter waves, so I guess it's not going to be Verizon phones. But it could still be a T-Mobile phone. I mean, there's some MediaTek phones, MediaTek-based phones on T-Mobile. Maybe it does have millimeter wave. I didn't see anything on the on the uh, the modem specs that really convinced me that it had millimeter wave. No, you're right. It says it specifically says sub six five G. Yeah, that, sub six right there. Three carrier. Okay, but it does have Wi-Fi six E, which is cool. So I mean, like, I'm not worried about the details of this chip. I'm sure it's fine. I trust MediaTek there. I'm just more like, you know, they've also mentioned during the summit that we would start seeing more phones with a flagship chip in potentially this market, North America. And so it's weird to me that like, you know, if you're a phone manufacturer and you have to come out with a product where Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile, at least one of these carriers has to be happy with it. You know, you have Qualcomm on one side that you can pick lots of chips from, and then you have MediaTek on the other side. I see it as very slim chance that we're going to get phones with both the 8200 and the 9200 in the US next year. I think it's more one or the other, right? Mm. Because like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be negative because I want MediaTek to succeed. I really like their stuff, but I feel like it's going to be a tough sell in this market, right? Because like, because of the carriers being so difficult. I mean, 
In terms of capabilities, I really think that the top end is probably where they're going to be the most successful in the US because of its capabilities on the modem side. But it's also not going to really execute well um, in terms of where they're trying to land for price of devices with the 9200. So I actually disagree. I think they will have 9200s and 8200s in market. Okay. Um, But I think that they will be targeted very differently with different brands. Yeah, I mean... Could definitely see OnePlus do something. I could see Moto do something for sure. Yep. And then or you know, TCL have, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I was actually thinking more along the lines of you know the Revel phones yep, from T-Mobile, like some sort of like maybe they'll up it up to a mid-range from a budget to a mid-range and give us like an upper mid-range, like kind of blow our minds by making like a that magical four hundred fifty Nord equivalent or Phone One equivalent. Or what if? Okay, what if? Carpe has said that there's potentially a phone coming to the US from nothing next year. What if that's a MediaTek phone? Could and be. what if they're working with one of the, and you know, he said they're working on it with the carriers or one carrier at least. I'm calling it, it's going to be T-Mobile, Dimensity 8200, maybe. If, 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 you, if all the stars line up, we'll find out. Do you want to do a prediction? <laughs> I'm not that confident yet. Okay. That's fair. Listen, I think we should wrap up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your social media handles and everything? Yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere all at once uh, <laughs> at Anshel Sog. So uh, whether you want to find me on Twitter or Mastodon or on Instagram or TikTok, I'm pretty much all on those the same Anshel Sog handle. Fantastic. So folks, you know, go ahead and follow Anshel and you're right on Forbes, right? And yep. of course, there's more insights and strategy. I do like your articles a lot. So go check that out, folks. And then um, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm a tank girl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, just like the comic book character. Just drop all the vowels and you'll get my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle. I'm also on Mastodon, although I haven't really kind of made the switch yet. I would recommend that right now, if you want to discuss this podcast, you still do it on Twitter, if you can muster it and uh, talk to me and Anshel there. And you know that my Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones and cars and food and travel taken with phones, because that's what I like to do is take most of my photos with phones. The podcast is at mobiletechpodcast.com or on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So please subscribe and tell your friends about it. And uh, if your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. It would really be helpful. And then there's a couple of YouTube channels you can subscribe to with additional content, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more. You know how YouTube works. Like, subscribe, click the little bell, tell your friends, comment. You can also comment about the podcast episodes. And there is a Patreon. Patreon.com slash tankgirl is where it's at. Patreon.com slash TNKGRL. As I mentioned, there's a video version of the podcast. You can see me and Unshell talk. And sometimes I leave some extra content in there because we go over time. And generally, it's a little less edited. And more importantly, you get it a couple of days before the audio version, which is free. But the video version is a bit of a special treat. So I highly recommend you join Patreon for that. And that'll help me out because it'll help me pay the bills. And You know, there's other tiers. If you want, there is, of course, a Discord server you can join and a bunch of other things you can find there. So check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash TNKGRL. And, of course, I want to thank 
my sponsor, TXO Mark. TXO Mark is an independent French technology company and the international leader in quality assessment of smartphone camera, display, audio, and battery, as well as other consumer electronics such as cameras, speakers, doorbells, video conferences, and more. So I want to thank DxO Mark for being a sponsor. That was pretty awesome. And of course, Anshel, I want to thank you for being my guest yet again. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me back. It was a pleasure. Awesome. We'll definitely have you on at some point in the future again. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.